guys. <laughs> these, uh, these are my kids, so in case you're wondering. What's that? They got some snacks. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right, this is how we're going to do this. So, um, good morning. So if we haven't met, I'm Brad. I'm the senior pastor here, and there was an invitation for coffee for anyone who wants to get coffee. Uh, just send me an email. Coffee, maybe something to chew on, too, is uh, on Mosaic. If you have any questions about the church uh, or anything, uh, I'd love to get to know you a little bit better. And so please take advantage of that. It actually happens. I actually do get calls and emails, and we get coffee. It's fun. Um, so switching gears. Um, I hate to say it. I don't think I'm going to tell you anything new here. You guys have probably felt this. Uh, but Christians just aren't that popular anymore. Have you noticed? And there's been a shift. I don't know if you know that either. If, if you were born past a certain year, but I think I'm old enough to remember uh, when this wasn't the case, when the assumptions about uh, Christians in general were generally positive. Uh, and that if you found out someone was a Christian, to, no matter what background you came from, you were more likely uh, to expect them to be uh, gracious and loving and helpful. In fact, uh, according to the Barna Group, in 1996, so not a crazy long time ago, 85% of Americans with no religious affiliation viewed Christians favorably. Uh, 13 years later, in 2009, they found that only 16% of young people have a favorable impression of Christians. 13 years later. And that was 2009, 10 years ago. Which direction do you think that it's gone since then? In my notes, I say, yikes. <laughs> And it seems that Christians these days uh, are now associated with bad news. News that causes young people to choose words like judgmental, self-righteous, and hypocritical when they're asked to describe Christians. News that often has the word anti in front of it, like anti-science, anti-sex, anti-people, anti-everything. And Christians are no longer associated with grace in general. That's not what people expect. Uh, the comedian, uh, Kathy Ladman, I don't know if you know her, she expressed a common view. And when she said this, all religion is basically guilt with different holidays. <laughs> all religion, she's saying, is bad news. Now, here's the thing. I think people are certainly hungry for good news. I think actually... Now, 10 years after 2009, I think people have always been hungry for good news, but I feel like we're even hungrier. Yesterday, I found myself on one of the sites where the title was Good News, just to read something positive that was happening in the world around us. People are looking for it, hungry for it, because the news that hits us all the time, whether we want to hear it or not, generally is not good at all, is it? Is it? Not at all. I had to stop reading my news feed uh, about six or seven months ago because it wasn't healthy for me. 
Uh, Philip Yancey wrote a book called Vanishing Grace. And in it, in it, he suggests that human beings instinctively think two things or seek two things. He says, one, we long for meaning or a sense that our life somehow matters to the world around us. And he says, the other thing that we long for is a sense of being loved. Those two things, meaning and love. And to set up his book, uh, he tells a story of the daughter of someone you may or may not have heard of. At one point, he was a famous, uh, known for being an atheist. His name was Bertrand Russell. And in an interview, his daughter said this. She said, his whole life was a search for God. Somewhere at the back of my father's mind, at the bottom of his heart, in the depths of his soul, there was an empty space that had once been filled by God, and he never found anything else to put in it. She goes on to say, I would have liked to convince my father that I'd found what he'd been looking for, the ineffable something that he had longed for all of his life. I would have liked to persuade him that the search for God does not have to be vain. But it was hopeless. He had known too many blind Christians, bleak moralists, who sucked the joy from life and persecuted their opponents. He would never have been able to see the truth that they were hiding. Sounds like, if his daughter was onto something here, that he saw bad news. But my question is, does it have to be that way? And you can probably imagine my answer is no. <laughs> Why would I be up here? It's all bad news, people. <laughs> Suck it up. No. No, not at all. Grace can still bridge the gap between faith in Jesus and a world increasingly suspicious of it. It's still good news. So what can we do? What can be done? Let me just say this. I don't think that we can change a society-wide perception by screaming to society, you're wrong. We're not angry. Doggone it. We're loving. Anything that help that work? There's lots of grace for you here. Yelling isn't going to. Yelling, complaining, critiquing the media, I, I think it's a waste of time. If anything, we could accidentally reinforce the very things that we're trying to communicate aren't real or true about Jesus or about people who want to follow Jesus. It just makes us look grumpy, like we have more bad news to offer. So today we're going to talk about Offering something that is good news, truly good news. Today we're going to talk about how we can put goodness back in the good news of Jesus. And let me just say that the, uh, I'm not exactly sure how many weeks of preaching I have left. Not ever in my whole life, but as the senior pastor, if you didn't notice the announcements, I'm transitioning out of this role and we're in the process of uh, finding a senior pastor to come in and lead the church into the future. So each week, uh, I think, is an opportunity for me to highlight or reinforce something that I feel like has been essential to our church and how we view the world or how we live, how we understand Jesus. And so this week, we're going to talk about the gospel being 100% good news. Not 99.9, not 99.99999, but all good news. Because I think that this is essential, a foundation 
of a healthy approach to spirituality in Jesus. And so we're going to do that by looking at Romans 1, uh, verse 16 and 17. This is Paul writing. Paul was famous in the first century. He was the entrepreneurial church starter, uh, the first one of particular note. And he wrote a lot of letters to the churches that he started to encourage him. This one he actually writes to a church that he hasn't been to yet, but that knows who he is. And he says to them, Right out in the beginning, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So what's the good news here, and how good is it really? Well, the first thing I like to suggest is that When we get in touch with this good news and how good it is, what happens is, and this is the analogy I'm using, is that we hear a different sound. You can walk through life hearing something different, something good, something encouraging. And the question, I think, that leads into this reality is, what if the news is all good? What if it is all good? Uh, You'll notice that the first thing that we read in Paul's uh, profession here is that he's not ashamed of the gospel. And I think that was a pretty bold thing for Paul to say. If you ever have the time or if you heard a little bit, Paul suffered a lot for his belief in the gospel. At one point he writes this, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. All those hardships and the potentially similar things that were in his future because of his association with the gospel, because he wanted to follow Jesus into the things that Jesus had put before him. But after all that, he's not shy or timid or embarrassed by the gospel at all. I think he knew that the gospel, which translated literally is good news, that's what it means, was really good news. All good. All good. Now, a few of us, I think, are facing anything like these pressures. I know I'm not. (laughs) But with public opinion where it is, if we're honest, uh, we Christians, I think, are often timid, maybe a little embarrassed to be found out as Christians, maybe even a little ashamed. And I'd say not because of Jesus or who Jesus is or what Jesus has meant in our lives, but because of what we see in the world around us. Maybe what people who label themselves as Christians choose to do that doesn't match with you. Anyone? Think about the most popular stories about Christians in America over the past just couple weeks. Think about the news articles or Facebook posts that you've read. 
How have the Christians come across in those stories? Let me put it another way. If you're a Christian, did you feel more proud to be a Christian after reading that Facebook post? Or did you think, oh, no, don't let my friends read that, please? Or let me put it another way. As you read or saw those stories, did you think, that's me? Or did you think, that's not me? But here's the thing. The gospel is all good news. It's bigger than our mistakes and the mistakes of the people around us. It's bigger than the mistakes of people in the news who are labeled Christians. It's so big that it's the thing that I think we're all thirsting for. And the good news is that Jesus, that in Jesus, something has happened that settles the question of God's love and invites us into God's mission to renew everything in the world. The death and resurrection have happened. Yancey said that we're all longing for a sense of being loved. The gospel addresses this longing. Another author, a guy named uh, Mark Rutland, whimsically recalls a survey in which Americans were asked what words they would most like to hear. Any guesses? What words do you think most Americans would like to hear? Throw something out. I won't judge you. What? Free. Free? Okay. I like free. America. Uh, America, okay. <laughs> All right, maybe. What other words? What? What? Love. Love. Love's a good one. I like that one. Well, according to the survey, the top three things that Americans would like to hear are number one, I love you. Number two, I forgive you. And number three, supper's ready. Now, if you think about it, and the more you lean into the gospel, is, it's kind of funny how these three statements are a pretty good summary of the gospel story. We're loved by God, we're forgiven by God, and we're invited to the banquet table. The sacrifice of Jesus proves the ultimate love of God for us, you, and his desire for a loving relationship that comes through forgiveness and communion, a shared meal. That's good news. Yancey also said we're longing for meaning. I mentioned that earlier. The gospel addresses this longing as well. The event of Jesus was also the beginning of the renewing of everything. So Eugene Peterson paraphrased the Bible, and there's a famous Bible verse, John 3, 16. You guys have probably seen that at football games. Well, the next verse is 17, and he paraphrases it this way. You see? It goes like that. Anyway, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. The gospel invites us into this process, this mission, this purpose. It becomes ours as we accept the invitation to follow Jesus. That's part of it. Part of it is this acceptance, this love, healing that comes through that, but then another big part is this invitation to a new way of living that renews everything around us. That's good news. And I think we need to experience how good the good news is. And this is the sound that we need to hear, the love of God, the mission available to us proven and made possible through what Jesus did. 
That's the gospel. That's good news. Hear that sound. Welcome it. Ask God if it's true. Meditate on it. Ask God to make it real. Look for signs. Pray for it to be real to you because when you hear this sound, shame drops away. Yancey says, the gospel is truly good news. Like an iPod listener dancing in a subway station full of glum commuters, a Christian hears a different sound of joy and laughter on the other side of pain and death. Or like this guy. I want to show you this clip. I think this guy hears a different sound. Uh, and also I want to show it because, you know, this is my last month-ish in this role. And uh, when I first moved out here with Becca, uh, this was a big deal movie that I probably watched like five times. Uh, and so it's, it, it's also a, a walk through memory lane. So I, I hope you can see that. I know it's a little sunny in here. Um, there's actually some application 
to that clip. I didn't just want to watch a clip of Napoleon Dynamite, although I, I did. But uh, if the, the background there is he's actually trying to help a friend uh, who's, who's also <laughs> socially awkward. Um, and the reason he is out there, I say that because you can tell he's in his own world, right? He is like experiencing a reality that the people around him at first are perplexed by, right? They stare at him like, what in the world is this guy doing? Um, and he definitely is in his own world hearing his own song and responding. But he's not out of touch either. The whole reason that he's out there is he's trying to help his friend win the student council election. And his friend is bombing. So he shakes his head, gives the music, and then he goes and does the dance that you saw. But there's something about his experience of that song uh, that wins people over. He's a little bit weird in the beginning. Maybe he's a little bit weird at the end, but people love him for it. There's something about hearing a different song in life that the gospel can bring to us that's different, that won't always make sense to the people around us who haven't experienced it. But it's also, in the end, very attractive. I think when we're in touch with that music and we hear that sound, in some ways it, it doesn't matter what other examples of following Jesus are out there in the world? Because we are experiencing something in the moment that's good. Really good. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, that's, that's good stuff, Brad. But when are you going to get to the bad news? You know, sacrifice, stuff you can't do anymore, fine print. Now that question, it troubles me because it's like there's some bait and switch, like God welcomes people with love and acceptance, warm feelings in the beginning, only then to suck the joy, pleasure, and fun out of life once he gets us. What I'd like to do, though, is not just hear a different sound, but play a different tune. And the question I'd like you to consider is, what if there's no fine print? What if there's no bad news in the gospel? Seriously, what if there's no fine print? Consider this. This passage we just read, it communicates that this good news is connected directly to faith. So Paul writes, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So there's, this, there's an immediate connection between the gospel, salvation, and faith, those who believe. But he continues to make it even more clear. He says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, from first to last. Just as is written, the righteous will live by faith. Faith, from first to last. Not just faith in the beginning, early, warm, fuzzy feelings, but faith in the middle, faith near the end, and faith in the end. From faith to faith is another way that it can be translated. The good news 
is that because of what Jesus has done, we can follow him. This is what we've talked about, acceptance and purpose. But the following is built on faith, the trust of God from beginning to end. And there's no other fine print in that. And this is a different tune because faith demands that we believe that it is all good news. Uh, Ignatius, Ignatius of Loyola defines sin as refusing to believe that God wants my happiness and fulfillment. And that perspective means a lot to us here. I think there have been two key perspectives on life in our church. Namely, that good news is this. God is what we really need, and he can deliver. The supposed bad news is that you can't do certain things and follow Jesus. Those things are usually connected to sex or ambition or drugs or money. And if you do those certain things, then you're bad and God is mad at you. That's the bad news. That's not our tune. Our tune is that there are lots of things in the world that we look to to provide for us meaning and love. Those two things we've been talking about. And our message isn't that they're necessarily bad. Not, not everything is good. But rather that ultimately they don't deliver. Your career, which is likely a good thing, can't make you happy. Your family, a very good thing, isn't enough on its own to make you happy. Drugs, sex, beauty can't deliver what you need in the end. And when we look to those things to provide for us what they cannot, when we over-desire sometimes what are good things, they start to drive us. And they become masters that cannot be pleased and our lives suffer. Can't get enough. So we aren't anti-sex or a lot of the good things on that list. We just don't think they should be in the center of our lives because it's asking too much of them. They can be blessings, a lot of those things, when they aren't the focus of our lives, when our hope isn't in them. Instead, our tune is, put your hope in God. It's simple. The gospel is that he's what we need and he can deliver. He can deliver the acceptance and the purpose that we need. How? Okay. What is the good news? Another way to put it, God is good and he has our best interests in mind. That's good news. He shows us how to live. He shows us how to interact with family, with career, with pain, with ambition, with sex, so that they can be blessings in our lives. He's not trying to control us. I'll say it again. He's not trying to control us. He's trying to help us. Sometimes Jesus, God, is referred to as the great physician. And we have found that to be a particularly helpful analogy. And what that means is that his commands, his challenges, they're not meant to control us. I don't think good doctors, great doctors, are trying to control our lives. But they give us doctor's orders. They can be challenging. They can be things we don't want to do. They can demand change, 
But they aren't bad news. They're paths to health and life. It's not bad news when your doctor tells you that it would really help you to stop smoking. He's trying to keep you, from, or she, is trying to keep you from cancer. It's actually good news. Here's how you can avoid cancer. Here's how you can bring more health into your life. This addiction is not going to help you. It's not bad news. In Mark chapter 2, it says that on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So the tune that we can sing that's so different is faith. Trust that God is good from first to last. That he's a, the great physician. That every ounce of his motivation is for our good and he can deliver. He's giving us doctor's orders. And this, I think, allows for us to do one more thing, and that is to dance a different dance. And that's this. What if this good news is for everyone? What if this isn't an in-out situation? Paul says, it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The emphasis here is on the word everyone. This dance is the dance of living like this is good news for everybody. And here's how I think, you know, this passage is asking for faith in Jesus, right? Not everybody has faith in Jesus. But if people are happy, if they don't have a sense that they're missing something or have a need, then that's fine. Jesus came to call the sick, not the healthy. So let's not waste our time trying to convince someone that they aren't really happy. That really makes you someone with bad news. I know you think you're happy and your life is working, but it's not. You're miserable. You just don't know it. Yeah, that makes you someone with bad news. Instead, let's try this. Let's be on the mend and let people know what's making us better. Admit your own sickness. You don't have to beat yourself up. Just be honest about your life with people. If you have a friend and a certain level of relationship, don't pretend. Be honest about your growth points and how Jesus and your faith is helping you through it. And at some point, I think everybody is sick and needs a doctor. Let's let people know our stories without being ashamed and without editing out Jesus. People aren't turned off by people who are in the same boat with them. We have the same problems. But they are interested in things that will help them grow and that will help them heal, that will bring reassurance of their worth, of being loved that will lend meaning to their lives. And not being ashamed, I think, is telling our stories, our whole stories, including faith. And the good news, the really good news of Jesus. Let's pray.
Jesus as we move into a time of communion and worshiping through song. Um, we just take a moment to sit with and remember your goodness. And as we prepare for communion, We remember the peace and the hope that you've brought into our lives that came at a cost, that came through your death and your resurrection. As it says in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this morning, we take a moment to reflect on your sacrifice, Jesus, and your death on the cross. And we pray that as we take communion, that you would bless the bread, which symbolizes your body broken on the cross. You would bless the juice, which symbolizes your blood spilled and poured out. That through this moment of taking communion, we could be drawn into that reality of your love for us and of the life that's available to us through that love. Amen.